This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. Good morning, good morning, good morning, church. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so glad that you've joined us. How good is that truth? All the earth will sing God's praise. You know, that's the kind of thing that whether you're watching from home, whether we're in person, whether we're starting 10 minutes late because of technical difficulties, whether we're right on time, whether we're doing it on Instagram, it doesn't matter what's happening in our circumstance because the truth of who God is and what he is doing in our city and through our church is still true. That all of the earth will sing God's praise. Come on, that's something that even if we're not at the Bella Rose this morning is good news. That's something that even if our venue did lock us out is good news. It's something that if we're in a theater, if we're in a studio, if you're watching on a phone, if you're watching on a laptop, is good news. And I hope that you are excited this morning that God is on the move and God is doing something and we get to be a part of it. Come on, that's exciting. And I hope that you feel excited. If you're watching for the first time again, welcome. We're glad that you have tuned in. However it is that you came to find us, whether someone shared a link or you just somehow on the internet stumbled across church, we're glad that you're here. We don't believe it's by accident, and uh, we're going to get right into the Word today. So come on, why don't you turn with me to the book of Luke if you have a Bible. We actually encourage you, even if you're watching from home, have a Bible and, and pull it out when we do this kind of thing. Follow along, because we believe that the Bible is more than just an old book. We believe that it's the truth of God revealed to us by his son, by people who followed him through different authors, but it all works together to tell the story of us and God. And so whenever we read it, we believe that it is truth for us today that can challenge and encourage and build us up. So come on, Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at this parable from Jesus. He's talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, a little bit of context that you need to understand. Pharisees were like the rock stars of the church of the day for the Jewish people. These were the guys that had, they had the nice robes. They had the tall tees kind of thing going on. They had the prayer shawl. They had the, the beads. They had the scroll on their forehead. They had everything when it came to being religious and, and following God. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were people that were like the lowest of the low. They were the worst of society because when the Romans came in, when the Romans invaded Israel, they betrayed their people for a prophet. Like these were people that like, it's not like they worked for the CRA. These were people that you hated if you were a Jewish person because they betrayed their family and their friends and their neighbors and their community in order to make money. When the Romans came in, they said, hey, here's the tax rate, 70%. Can you imagine? <laughs> that gives me anxiety thinking about that. And then they would add their number on top of it. So they would say, oh, it's actually 90% today. And whatever they could get away with, with Roman soldiers standing behind them enforcing it, they got to keep the extra. So we're, we're talking about someone who wasn't liked and who was typically thought of as a bad person. So just go ahead and extrapolate in your mind who that might be today in our context, the person that you don't like, the person that has different views than you, the person that you feel is a traitor or un-Canadian or just a bad person in general. This is, this is who Jesus is, is talking about. So it says this in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. 
two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. That's the, the good guy, the hero of the story, typically. And the other was a despised tax collector for obvious reasons. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I certainly am not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. He's standing before God. He's like, God, I'm amazing. Thank you so much that you've made me so amazing, right? You can kind of see where this story is going if you've never heard it before. It says this in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, this is Jesus speaking again, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And this is a twist in the story. The audience that would have been hearing this would be like, what, what do you mean that the tax collector, Jesus? Why, why would the tax collector do anything good? But what Jesus is saying is because of this, the Pharisee goes away not justified before God. The tax collector is the one who is justified before God. And then he says this, for those who exalt them and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Would you pray with me as we look into this scripture and we understand what it is that God is speaking to us today? Would you pray with me right from where you are? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active and powerful. God, we thank you that you want to speak to us, that you care enough about us to interrupt our day and, and be involved in our lives and speak to us. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at this scripture, as we understand your word, as we unpack this renovation series that we've been doing, God, that you would speak that your words would be heard, that my words would fall to the floor and be forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, I'm about to go home for Thanksgiving, and uh, Thanksgiving is one of those, those incredible, you know, holidays where you just eat until you physically are ill. And uh, I, I tend to find this is a good thing when I go to my in-law's place. Uh, first of all, amazing food. Italians, they just have the best food. It's incredible. And then they're the only people I know that still have cable. See, everyone else in my life has switched over to a streaming service. And the difference between streaming and cable is on streaming, you need to pick what you're watching. You ever thought about this? Like you sit there and you scroll through sometimes for hours and you're like, I don't want to watch that. I don't, you get choice anxiety. You're like, I, I don't know. Let's just turn it off. It's been two hours. We haven't picked anything. But with cable, Cable's this interesting thing where you're like, yeah, I'm up for watching an eight-hour marathon of Forged in Fire. What is that show? They make swords? Great, I'm in, right? And you end up watching something that you didn't even care about just because it's on, right? It's there in front of you. It's available. And it's so much so that we don't watch cable that my son calls commercials short shows. <laughs> Like, he, he doesn't even know what commercials are. He's grown up in the streaming age. He's like, Dad, why are these shows so short? I'm like, short. Like, you get, he doesn't understand the concept. And I almost guarantee you, I can pretty much guarantee you that this Thanksgiving, we're going to end up watching some cable TV. And this Thanksgiving, we're going to end up watching HGTV. 
You know what I'm talking about? Like, has anyone ever watched HGTV? Here's, here's just, for those of you that don't know what it is, it stands for Home and Garden Television. And even the people who make the channel recognize that no one cares about the gardening aspect. So typically, Home and Garden Television is just home renovation shows, right? There are so many home renovations, and they all have their own little twist, you know what I'm talking about? And all the commercials are like, she's the brains, he's the brawn, together, they are the house flippers. They are, and, and this is what happens, right? And you're like, okay, what's going on? And it's like taking one room at a time and fixing one marriage at a time. They are couples therapy airing at 9 a.m. And you're like, what? what is this show, right? And you're like, we're working on people's marriages now? Some people are like, I want to watch that show. It's not a real show. I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm making fun of it, all right? But there is a formula to these shows. Whatever their angle is, whether it's that houses have good bones or it's a bit of a fixer-upper or it's a flip or there's another flip show or another flip show or another flip show with Mike Holmes, whatever the case is, all of these shows kind of work the same way. They get there, they're like, look at the potential of this amazing space, right? And we love that. We're like, yeah, the potential, the potential of a renovation. And then they're like, here's what we're going to do. And they explain what they're going to do. They explain where they're going with the renovation. And then they start ripping apart the old construction, right? And this is typically what happens on these shows. You got to realize something. Reality TV producers love drama. If a couple's fighting, guess what? They're there. If the designers are fighting, guess what? They're there. But their favorite thing, the, the gold in any home renovation show is when they find something wrong with the house. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's like one of those things where all of a sudden the music becomes really intense and they're like, you gotta come see this. And the designer comes over and is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then it just goes to short shows or commercials, right? And you're like, what? What did they find? And you're like, maybe it's a body. And you're like, whoa, that's dark. Probably not on home and garden television. But then when it comes back, you're like, what was it? What was it? What was it? And almost always, it then shows the drywall off or the floor has been removed. And there's something wrong with the structure of the house. Whether it's a beam on the floor or a stud in the wall or whether it's something on the exterior of the house or insulation that's gone bad, in some way, there is decay and rot. They find rot in the house. Like, and this is gold for the producers. But the truth is this, whenever that happens, they have a choice. They need to deal with the rot before they do anything else. They need to deal with the rot before they put drywall back on. It would be irresponsible for them as designers to be like, oh, yeah, well, it's just a little bit of mold. Let's just put drywall up. No, they can't do that. Or they're like, hey, yeah, just a bit of termite damage. That's fine. Let's just put the floor back on. No, it, it doesn't work that way because they need to take care of the rot. And, you know, when it comes to our own lives and when it comes to our own faith, we've been going through this renovation series, right? We've been talking about it in church for three weeks now. We're talking about the potential. We're talking about the amazing space that we can have. We're casting vision. We're talking about where we're going as a church. We're talking about the new things that we're going to bring in as we take down some of the old stuff. But I'm just going to ask the question today, as we've been talking about this, as we've been going through these three weeks, as we're talking about drawing near to the Holy Spirit or having more representation of people of color on our stage and on our leadership team, what is that doing in your heart? What is that doing to you on the inside? As we are renovating, as, we are as we're taking things down and we're getting ready to put on the new, are you discovering some rot? Like maybe you feel like, why, why, would, we, why would we need to do that? 
Like, oh, Holy Spirit, whoa, I had a bad experience with that. I don't want to go near that. Or, or maybe, maybe it's not even something that's been involved in church. Maybe it's just getting up and bringing your kids to a service. You know what I'm talking about? Where you've gotten into this routine of just kind of like flipping open your laptop at 11.30 and like putting on the kids stuff at novachurch.ca slash online, right? Or, or maybe it's the kind of thing where you, you've just gotten used to that. That's your new routine. It's been renovated in. And now going back, you're like, 8 a.m.'s early, right? Like, like getting to churches and registering, that's, oh, that's inconvenient. Finding a clean mask, bringing my zoo to church, like this is, this is a challenge. And so maybe you're realizing that it's a little harder than you thought. Or maybe, just maybe during this whole crazy year and a bit that we've had, you've discovered something in your heart. And when you look at it, you go, oh, that's not good. That's actually rot. That's actually bad. That's a bad attitude. I'm prejudiced. There's something in my heart that isn't right. It doesn't line up with the person and character of Jesus. It is rot. It is wrong. It's not something that I want to have in my heart. And so I want to ask the question, how is your heart today? How is your heart? As we've been starting the renovation, as we've been taking the drywall off, as we've been getting ready for where we're going as a church, has it revealed in you some rot that needs to be dealt with. Maybe for you, it hasn't been something that's been preached. Maybe it's just simply getting on comment sections, right? Like going into COVID, you never engage with comment sections. But now you will take a right-wing troll down. You'll do it. You will go after a left-wing activist because they are wrong in Jesus' name. And you actually, if you were to take a step back and go, wait a minute, is that hatred in my heart? Like, is that malice? Is that actually despising a brother? See, Jesus says if you even have hatred for your brother in your heart, you've already killed him. Am I killing people in my heart? Or, or maybe it's the kind of thing where like, you have been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, the sin that you thought had been taken care of, the rot that you thought had been taken care of during this past year and a half, you're like, man, I'm, I'm struggling with that again. And I didn't think I would ever struggle with that again, but it's, it's come back. And if I'm being honest, and it just kind of, as the drywalls come down, as the facade has come off, as I've been stepping back into community and iron's been sharpening iron and things are being exposed, I realize that there's rot in my heart that, that needs to be dealt with. Another way that we could describe this rot would be the language that Jesus uses for it, which is sin. And whatever has been the renovation, you fill in the blank, comment section, social media, the experience that you've had the past year, going back to church, being in community, being challenged by people. What has caused you to go, oh, wait a minute, there's actually rot. And here's the thing. When people think sin, they're like, oh, that means that I'm not a good person. But I want you to understand something. Sin is not a statement of value about you. You are valuable and therefore sin is bad. It's not that because you have sin, you're bad. You are actually good and God calls you good because you're made in his image and therefore sin is bad. See, there's the difference. Just because you have sin doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're a person and you're the same kind of person that Jesus came to this earth, walked among us and died on a cross to save. God cares enough about you to get the rot out of your life and we've all got rot. You know what Paul says in Romans 3? I'm just gonna flip there real quick. Romans 3 says this, for everyone has sinned. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone, everyone has sin. We've all got rot. We've all got stuff to work on. We've all got stuff that we would rather not deal with, but when we finally see it, we need to deal with it. We need to make the choice. And I want to be very clear. I'm not judging anyone. Again, you are valuable, therefore sin is bad. Not sin is bad, so therefore you're bad. That's not what this is. In fact, that's what's actually happening in this verse. Jesus is talking about this kind of moment where you recognize the rot in your own life or you choose to ignore the rot in your own life. What's happening here is that the Pharisee is focusing on the external. He's focusing on what people can see on the outside. He doesn't cheat, right? He's not a cheater. And like sinners, that word that he uses, by the way, is, is a word for someone who would sell their body. That's what that is a euphemism for. So he's definitely not doing that. And, and, and you know, he's the kind of person who doesn't commit adultery. He hasn't betrayed people for money like a tax collector. He's not a traitor. He gives 10% of his income and he fasts twice a week. Can I be straight up? This guy's better than me by, by a long shot. I don't fast twice a week. But look at this. His drywall's perfect. He's got all the trim done on his life. You know, he has crown molding. He looks perfect from the outside. But on the inside, he has rot that he is refusing to deal with. And he's refusing to acknowledge. What Jesus says about him is he doesn't return home justified before God. This Pharisee is judging. He's not judging the rot or sin in his own life. He is actually looking at other people and going, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not like them, so I'm better. Like, I don't have stuff falling off my life, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm perfect. I do all the stuff that I need to do. I do the things that I need to do. And instead of confronting the rot in his heart, he is just slapping drywall on top of it so nobody sees it. And this is something that we can try to do. We can actually be very tempted to do this in our own lives, where maybe we've, we've been confronted with some of the rot in our heart. We've been confronted with some of the things that are wrong in our heart. And instead of dealing with them, we're like, I'm just going to slap a devotional time on top of that, right? Like, like rot? No, <laughs> I don't have rot. I come to church, all right? I come to church like every single week. Rot? I don't have rot. I follow Christian Instagram accounts, and they're painful at times, but I do it for the Lord, right? Like, rot? I don't have rot. I have a bumper sticker of a Jesus fish eating a Darwin fish, all right? I don't have rot. What are you talking about, rot? I lift my hands in worship for all the songs, all right? Not even just the third song. I do it the entire time. Rot? I don't have rot in my life. I listen to Christian music in my car. I say flip instead of swearing when I'm angry about something. I don't have rot. Because I got all the crown molding. I got all the drywall. This is the Benjamin Moore color of the year. <laughs> because we're up to date and we look good on the outside and we do all the things that a Christian should do, but we need to be honest with ourselves that we're not ignoring the rot in our heart. We need to be careful when a series comes around that renovates, that exposes an attitude or a mentality or a habit. And when we see the rot, or sin as Jesus calls it, that we're not just slapping drywall on it. That we're not just putting crown molding up and going, no, 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 don't look at the rot, don't look at the rot. Just look at the good things, the nice things, the things that look really Christian. We need to deal with what's going on on the inside. In contrast to the Pharisee, you have the tax collector. He's rough around the edges, and he knows it. In fact, he makes no pretense. He doesn't come before God and go, God, I'm like 90% good, but the 10%, I, I just got to work on that. No, he's like, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's beating his chest. He won't even look up at heaven. 
Am I saying that we should be the kind of people that come before God and we're masochistic and we, we're self-beating like, ourselves? And no, I'm not saying any of that at all. But what I'm saying is that his heart is in the right place because he's not pointing to his fancy externals. He's not saying, look at all the good things that I do or how I present on the outside. He is brutally honest with what has been exposed in his heart and is rotten. And he comes before God and he says, I, God, have mercy on me. This is rotten and I know it and I can't do anything about it. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says that he returns home justified. That is what justifies him. And when it comes to being in a relationship with Jesus, being in a relationship with God, we actually start a renovation of the heart where we start to become like Jesus. That is the goal of being a Christian, is that we actually become like the person that God made us to be, which is typified and exemplified in Jesus. If you're looking for what we're supposed to look like as Christians, Jesus is the example. And sometimes we're like, but how can we be like Jesus? But that's the journey that he's bringing us on. And what that sometimes involves is having those moments where when we find rot, we actually don't just brush it aside or slap drywall on top of it. Try to cover it up where we go, no, no, we need to do something about this. So when we find rot, we need to make a choice. We can ignore it, try to cover it up, or we can deal with it the way that Jesus calls us to. We can deal with it in order to be justified. So how do we deal with rot? Very quickly as we kind of land this plane, I want to give you four really practical things on how we deal with rot on what we do when we experience rot, when we go, God, that attitude, that behavior, I don't even like that about myself. What do I do? What do I do with this? And the first thing is this, we need to let him in. We need to let him in, invite God in, invite his presence in. The psalmist and warrior king, David, the king of Israel, shows this time and time again in his Psalms. In Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24, it starts like this, search me, O God, and know my heart. But I'm going to read it in the message. It sounds like this. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. And then guide me on the road to eternal life. Can you see what's happening here? It's an invitation. God, come in. Come in and take a look. You see, sometimes as, as Christians, we can, we can be the kind of people who don't want God to see our issues even, as if he doesn't already know, right? Like we're like, no, 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 I'm going to trick God and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pray more and I'm going to just worship more and I'm just going to do more Bible reading and I'm going to trick God into not knowing that I have sin to deal with in my life, as if he doesn't already know. But here's the thing about God. He's so generous and kind and gracious that he'll just wait at the door for an invitation it's like when the contractor shows up and you're like, ah, uh, ah, uh, I found a problem. Should we just put drywall in it so they don't know? Well, no, we can't do that. So we need to actually say, let's bring them in. Let's bring them in to take a look at this, to assess the situation, to figure out how to go forward. So what we do is we go to the door of our heart and we say, God, come in. Holy Spirit, come in. Presence of God, come in. Look at this rot. I don't know what to do about it. We, we need to fix it. So how do we do this? We engage with him. We invite him in. We're doing some of that right now by being in a church service. We're doing some of that when we lift our hands, when we engage in worship, when we come together to pray as a community. But sort of like dating, you don't really get intimate, or if that language makes you uncomfortable, one-on-one -on -one with someone in a group setting. 
See, David here is using this very intimate or one-on-one language where he says, investigate my life. That takes place in the context of one-on-one personal relationship. So the invitation is to go, God, how do I get alone with you? There's a question for you. How do you get alone with God? Maybe you don't, in which case it's never too late to start. Maybe your whole experience with God is what happens on a Sunday or in a worship service. And I can tell you that's a great place to be. That's a great place to start. God can absolutely meet you there. But there is something to the richness and fullness of God that is experienced in one-on-one personal relationship. So I would encourage you, start to pray. Find a time to read your Bible. Find a time to get alone with God. And even start right here, Psalm 139, 23 to 24. And just pray that over your life. Investigate my life, oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. When we expose the rot in our life to God, he comes in and he starts to deal with it. The other thing that we can do practically is find the cause of the decay. You know, Pastor Mike and Nancy are doing a renovation. They've referenced a couple times. And when they were doing it, they found a crack in their foundation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. It's that dramatic, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh moment. But what it can actually do is it can start to decay what's happening on the inside. So I want to ask the question, is there a cause of decay in your life, in your heart? I know for me personally, I've decided to jump off of Instagram. This is just a pure pastoral thing because here's what I found. I found during this season, this is just really personal, I was becoming more frustrated and more cynical and more bitter towards people that are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when I went to God, I said, God, like, man, I am angry. I am mad. I'm frustrated with our community on some things. And God, I don't want that. How do I deal with that? Where is that coming from? And he went, oh, actually, you got a leak right here. In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What gets into your heart will come out of you. We need to be cautious about what we are allowing into our heart. What is the source of decay that is leading to the rot in your heart? And here's the great thing. God is a really good inspector. When we invite him in, we say, God, like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? Why do I not have self-control? Why am I giving into things that I didn't used to give into or I haven't given into for a long time? Why am I finding myself pushing back on something that I think is a good thing, but I just find myself not? God can say, well, actually, let's go into this together. Here, look right here. Maybe you need to cut this out. You need to seal this up. Maybe it's social media. Genuinely, maybe it's comment sections. Maybe it's something that you're watching on Netflix or Prime or Disney or pick a streaming service because there's about a billion of them. Maybe it's someone or something in your life that you actually need to make a decision. I'm going to put more boundaries in place because you're leading to decay in my heart. Maybe it means that when you get into that conversation with that person who just makes you cynical, you walk away bitter. You go, actually, we're not going to talk about that. Happy to be here, happy to hang out with you, but I'm going to put a boundary up. I don't want to talk negatively about people. Because it's Bathsheba. And because of that, he's trying to cover it up. He's trying to cover up her pregnancy. So he kills her husband and 17 other Israelites through the process. Not good. That's some rot. We've all got rot. That's pretty bad. 
17 murders, all right? But look at this in Psalm 51. It says this, have mercy on me, O God. Does that sound like the language of the tax collector? Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me of my sin. And then jumping ahead to verse 9, because it's a lot more of that good stuff. says this, don't keep looking at my sins. Uh, remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal spirit in me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David here is not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to slap some drywall on the rot in his heart and be like, God, nothing to look at here. He's like, no, no, this is a disaster and I need your help. Like, man, how did I even get here? How did I get to this place of killing 17 people? Man, God, I need your love. I need your presence. Don't take your presence from me. I need it. It's the only way that I'm going to have any progress. Renew a right spirit in me. Give me a clean heart, oh God. And God does. He restores him. See, here's the thing, church. He knew your sin when he went to the cross. Everything you've done or are going to do, he's already paid for. The price is already paid. He has taken care of the bill. And David is not just saying, forgive me. He's saying, take it out. Take out all the stuff that's rotten and give me something new instead. See, sometimes we think we come before God with our rotten, we're like, God, just forgive me. Take away my guilt. Take away my shame. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And we go back to it. But God's not a bad contractor. He doesn't come up to it and go, oh, that's a lot of rot. Oh, well, let's just put the drywall on. Because he knows that if you can't have your foundation and the things at the core of you good, that it's not going to be sustainable. The solution is not more worship service and more prayer and doing more things for God and looking better on the outside and crown molding in Benjamin Moore color of the year. The solution is ripping out the rot and putting in something new. And that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do for you, church. It would make no sense to just drywall over it. It would make no sense to just cover it up. He didn't just come to forgive you of your sin. He came to free you of your sin. He came to free you of the rot in your heart, the things that hold you back, the things that hurt people around you, the things that make you feel guilty or ashamed or anxious. He came to deal with all of it because he loves you, because he values you. Because he values you, sin is bad. So he takes it out. He wants to deal with it. He wants to create in you a clean heart. You know, it's fantastic if we have a great prayer life. That's amazing. It's fantastic if we have a more multicultural platform and leadership team at our church. That's amazing. It's power, if we have powerful praise and worship, that's fantastic. Bible reading, amazing. But if there is not something in our heart that is being dealt with, it is unsustainable. We will not make it two years. We will not make it four years. We will not make it to the end of the pandemic if we do not deal with the rot in our heart. Everything flows from our heart. And the last point is this, let him lead. And I close with this, let him lead you. A lot of the time when it comes to dealing with rot or dealing with sin, we can kind of get a little bit navel-gazy. Do you know what I mean by that? Like where we're like, I need to go and find everything wrong. Imagine if you were renovating your bathroom and you found a little rot. And then you thought the solution was to go to every single room in your house and tear off all the drywall. That's not what God's trying to do. 
You see, the reality is this. You don't need to navel gaze and go looking for rot. You don't need to go looking for problems. With gentleness and grace and love, God will expose it. He will actually expose it in a gracious and loving way at your pace, on your race, and he'll deal with it. All you need to deal with is what he puts in front of you. The truth of dealing with the rot in our heart, of having the renovation of our heart, is that we just need to be available. We just need to stand in the room with the contractor of our heart and say, yeah, that looks bad. Yeah, we should take that out. Yeah, how do we do that? I'll just, I'm here, I'm available. Do I need, do I need to do more, more effort? And maybe sometimes God will say, yeah, you, you pick up that crowbar. You pick up that prayer life. You pick up that worship. But at the end of the day, being available to God and what he is doing trumps everything. Let him lead you. Don't worry about navel gazing. He'll bring it up when it's time. He'll deal with it when it's time. But the truth is that when we see the rot, it's chances are that he's brought it to the surface for a reason. So now we respond. We respond. So I want to close today just by asking you, how do you need to respond? Where is the rot in our heart? And we've all got rot. I know. How do you respond? Where do we need to invite him in? Where do we need to ask him to come in and do the work? Because that's how we build something sustainable. That's how we renovate at the core level as a church. He's saying, God, start with me. Send revival and let it begin in me. Send your kingdom and let it start in my heart. Because from that, all the issues of life flow. And here's the thing, maybe you're listening to this today and you're like, that's great. I don't have a relationship with Jesus though. I don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I don't really go to church. I've kind of been checking it out a little bit or I've been checking out your stream, but I don't really know God. And then the first step then is to just invite him in. Here's the truth. Maybe you're here watching this. Maybe you were thinking about attending this week because you've recognized that there's something in your heart that you don't like. Maybe you've hurt family or friends. Maybe you've hurt yourself. Maybe you're dealing with something and it's just too much for you. So you're like, I'm, I'm just looking for answers and I'm going to try church. Well, you've come to the right place. You found the right place. And here's the great news is that Jesus is waiting for you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do. And he loves you. And he wants you. And he wants to stand beside you and go, okay, let's deal with this. The first step is just letting him in. So I want to invite you. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you want to accept Jesus in your life? Do you want to say, God, come and start working on these parts? Maybe you feel more like the tax collector where you're like, I can't even, I can't even look up. I'm glad it's online today because I don't even think I could come to church. And if that's the case, I want to invite you. Would you just close your eyes? If that's you, if you want to accept Jesus, just right where you're at. I know this is strange because no one's looking, but would you just lift your hand? Just as a sign between you and God, just as a moment where you're saying, God, I want that. I want you in my heart. I want you to start working on the rot in my heart. Doesn't make you a bad person, just makes you a person. But here's the great news. Jesus dealt with everything that you can throw at him. He loves you. 
So if you lifted your hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word faith to 902-903-2682. That's the first step in a journey of renovation. And we would love to walk that journey with you. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would love to help you get a Bible if you don't have one. We would love to pray with you. We would love to just help you start that journey. So come on, would you pray with me all over? And again, for those of you who maybe already are Christians, just ask the question, are you available to what God's doing? Let's be available, church, for the next season and beyond. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we pray that you would be with people. Lord, that they would hear the grace and the love that you offer us in Jesus. Father, that this would not be a statement of condemnation, but Lord, freedom from the rot that is actually hurting us on the inside. Lord, for those who made that decision, who maybe lifted their hand, Father, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. God, that it would be like opening the door for you, that your love and your mercy and your grace would come in by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We'll be blessed, church. Have a fantastic Sunday. We will see you next week at the Bell Rose. Make sure that you bring some non-perishable food items. We'll see you next week. We love you. God bless.